Al-Bashir, your source of Islamic literature, presents Al-Akhirah, the afterlife, part 2, narrated by Imam Anwar Al-Awlaqi. Now we get to the million dollar question. Who compromises the greatest population of Jannah, men or women? This question was asked to Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu. Actually, he heard the conversation that was happening between the Sahaba and some of the men who were present were boasting that men are more than women in Jannah. So Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, he commented and he said, and let me read the hadith, Rawa Muslim an Muhammadin qala, imma tafakharu wa imma tadhakaru rijalu fil jannati akthar amin nisa'a. فقال أبو هريرة ألم يقل أبو القاسم صلى الله عليه وسلم إن أول زمرة تدخل الجنة على صورة القمر ليلة البدر والتي تليها على أضواء كوكب دري في السماء لكل امرئ منهم زوجتان محمد reported that some persons stated with a sense of pride and some discussed whether there would be more men in paradise or more women it was upon that that Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu reported that Rasulullah said, the members of the first group to get into paradise would have their faces as bright as full moon during the night. And the next to this group would have their faces as bright as a shining star. And every person among them will have two wives. And the marrow of their shanks would glimmer beneath the flesh. And there would be none without a wife in paradise. Abu Hurairah was using this hadith to refute what the men were saying. The men were saying that men are more than women in Jannah. So Abu Hurairah was saying no. Because Rasulullah says that every man in Jannah will be married to two wives. And uh, every man will be married. Therefore you have double the number of men in Jannah. Women are double the number of men in Jannah. This was the response of Abu Hurairah and he left it at that. And this is the good news for the sisters. That they are more than men in Jannah. However, for the sisters there is a slight bad news. And that is that we don't know if these two wives are from Al-Hur Al-Ain or they are from the women of dunya. And it seems from the ahadith that uh, since Rasulullah said that the majority of women will end up in hellfire, and these are very sound ahadith from Bukhari and Muslim, there is also another hadith narrated by Muslim that says, I've seen that the minority of the population of Jannah are women. So these are the ahadith and the opinions regarding this topic. Now what will happen to children? Will they be in Jannah or not? Let's categorize them into the children of the believers and the children of the non-believers who die at a young age. And what we mean by young age is before the age of puberty. And Nawawi says that it is the consensus of the scholars that the children of the believers who die before taklif, taklif is the age when you become responsible. He says this is the consensus of the scholars 
that they will be in Jannah. That is what An-Nawawi says. وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَاتَّبَعَتْهُمْ ذُرِّيَّتُهُمْ بِإِيمَانٍ أَلْحَقْنَا أَلْحَقْنَا بِهِمْ ذُرِّيَّتَهُمْ وَمَا أَلَتْنَاهُمْ مِنْ عَمَلِهِمْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ كُلُّ امْرِئٍ بِمَا كَسَبَ رَهِينٍ And those who believed and whose descendants followed them in faith, we shall join with them their descendants. And we will not deprive them of anything of their deeds, every person for what he earned is retained. Al-Bukhari narrates, مَا مِنَ النَّاسِ مِنْ مُسْلِمٍ يُتَوَفَّى لَهُ ثَلَاثٌ لَمْ يَبْلُغُ الْحِنْثِ إِلَّا أَدْخَلَهُ اللَّهُ الْجَنَّةَ بِفَضْلِ رَحْمَتِهِ إِيَّاهُمْ Rasulullah sallallahu said, A Muslim whose three children die before the age of puberty will be granted paradise by Allah due to His mercy. Now we're moving on to the issue of the parents. So the children of the believers, they are going to Jannah. We'll talk about, inshallah, the children of the non-believers in a moment. Just let me get over the issue of parents. So that's in regarding the father. Uh, what about the mother? رَوَى الْبُخَارِ عَنْ أَبِي سَعِيدٍ الْخُدْرِ قَالَتِ النِّسَاءُ لِلنَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ غَلَبَنَا عَلَيْكَ الرِّجَالِ فَجَعَلْ لَنَا يَوْمًا مِنْ نَفْسِكَ فَوَعَدَهُنَّ يَوْمًا لَقِيَهُنَّ فِيهِ فَوَعَضَهُنَّ وَأَمَرَهُنَّ فَكَانَ فِيمَا قَالَ لَهُنَّ مَا مِنْ كُنَّ امْرَأَةٌ تُقَدِّمُ ثَلَاثَةَ مِنْ وَلَدِهَا إِلَّا كَانَ لَهَا حِجَابًا مِنَ النَّارِ فَقَالَتْ امْرَأَةٌ وَاثْنَتَيْنِ فَقَالَ وَاثْنَتَيْنِ The woman requested the Prophet ﷺ, please fix a day for us. The woman came to Rasulullah ﷺ and said, the men have taken you away from us. غلبنا عليك الرجال the men have taken you away from us. Rasulullah said, Then I will devote a day for you, exclusively. And he would go and give a reminder to the woman on that day, on a weekly basis. In one of those sessions that he had with the Sahabiyat, Rasulullah said, A woman whose three children died would be screened from the hellfire by them. If three children die, and a sister has patience and accepts that, then they will grant her Jannah and they will save her from hellfire. So a woman who heard that stood up and said, Oh Rasulullah what about if two died? Rasulullah said, even two would screen her from hellfire. Abu Hurairah, he added, he said, those children should be below the age of puberty. Now, how about the children of al-mushrikeen? What is their fate? By the way, with the children of the believers, we say in general, in general, they go to Jannah. But we cannot specify that every single child, and we pinpoint and say, this child is going to Jannah. We cannot guarantee that anybody is going to Jannah, except whom Allah and Rasulullah have guaranteed by name. And we'll talk about who these people are. Why? Because Rasulullah once heard Aisha say, عن عائشة رضي الله عنها قالت دعي رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إلى جنازة صبي من الأنصار فقلت يا رسول الله طوبى لهذا عصفور من عصافر الجنة لم يعمل السوء ولم يدركه قال أو غير ذلك يا عائشة إن الله خلق للجنة أهلا خلقهم لها وهم في أصلاب آبائهم وخلق للنار أهلا خلقهم لها وهم في أصلاب آبائهم عائشة 
radiallahu anhu, she said, uh, she reported that a child died. And I said, there is happiness for this child who is a bird from amongst the birds of paradise. So Rasulullah said, don't you know that Allah created paradise and he created hell and he created the dwellers for paradise and the denizens for hell. In other words, Rasulullah uh, did not like what Aisha said by saying that that particular child is going to Jannah. So we say in general, the children of the believers are going to Jannah, but we never specify a particular one of them. Ibn Taymiyyah, he explains this, he says, لا يشهد لكل معين من أطفال المؤمنين بأنه في الجنة وإن شهد لهم مطلقا. Now we move on to the uh, children of the uh, non-believers. That is a little bit more complicated. It's not as straightforward as it is with the children of the believers. When it comes to the children of the non-believers, there are a few ahadith, first of all. There's not one hadith, but there are a few ahadith that uh, tackle this issue. In Bukhari, Rasulullah was asked about the children of the non-Muslims. Rasulullah said, when Allah created them, Allah knew what they would do. So Rasulullah left it open to the will of Allah. He said, Allah, when He created them, He knew what they would do. So we don't judge what will happen to them. That's one hadith. And this is in Bukhari. Ibn Hajar, when he commented on this hadith, he says, there is another hadith that was narrated by Abu Ya'la, that Rasulullah asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant him all of the children of mankind. All of them. Muslim and non-Muslim. Oh Allah, grant them to me. Meaning he's making shafa'ah for them. Intercession. Rasulullah said, and Allah has granted me that. However, this hadith is not sahih, it is hasan, which is agreeable. We can use it as an evidence, even though it is not as strong as the earlier hadith. There is a third hadith, which is also narrated by Abu Ya'la and Abu Na'im. It says, The children of the non-Muslims are servants for the people of Jannah. So they will be in Jannah, but they will be as servants. So this is the third hadith, and the scholars say that this hadith is sahih. Now, how do the scholars combine between all of these hadith? Because when you have a hadith that seems to be contradicting, the scholars compile them all, study them, and come out with a opinion. Some of the scholars say that all of the children, Muslim or non-Muslim, uh, I mean, whether the parents are Muslim or non-Muslim, are going to Jannah. They're all the same. And this is the opinion of Ibn al-Jawzi and al-Nawawi, he says, and this is the correct opinion that we should have, that all of the children are going to Jannah. So again, this is the opinion of al-Nawawi and Ibn al-Jawzi. And it is also the opinion of al-Qurtubi. Al-Qurtubi, he says, that Rasulullah his knowledge on this issue grew by time. In the beginning, Rasulullah said that they are going to be with their fathers in hellfire. And then later on, Rasulullah said that we should not judge what will happen to them. After that, Rasulullah said that they are granted forgiveness and they will be in Jannah. So Al-Qurtubi says this is why we find conflicting ahadith in the topic because Rasulullah had an earlier say on this and then when he made shafa'a for them, eventually he said that they will be granted uh, paradise. Now what about the other opinion, which is that we don't judge what will happen to them. 
and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will test them on the day of judgment. Uh, we spoke about how Allah will test the insane. We talked about that, right? The insane and the blind and the deaf. Some of the scholars say that Allah will test the children of the non-Muslims on the day of judgment. And this is the opinion of Abu al-Hasan al-Ash'ari. And uh, Imam Abu al-Hasan al-Ash'ari claims that this is the opinion of Ahl sunnah wal-Jama'ah. He considers this to be the official position of Ahl sunnah wal-Jama'ah. And Ibn Taymiyyah, he says that, وَهَذَا هُوَ الَّذِي ذَكَرَهُ أَبُوَ الْحَسَنَ الْأَشْعَرِ عَنْ أَهْلِ السُّنَّةِ وَالْجِمَاعَةِ Ibn Taymiyyah, he agrees with what Abu al-Hasan al-Ash'ari said, and he says also that this is the opinion that Ahl al-Sunnah wal-Jima'ah should have. So we leave it at that. It's a difference of opinion among the uh, scholars. And it's an issue of ghayb, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created this creation, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will judge upon them on the Day of Judgment. We speak according to the knowledge that we have, we don't go beyond that. Now, we get into the people who were specified by name that they will be in Jannah. Again, we cannot guarantee that anyone, anybody is going to Jannah unless they were given this guarantee by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or His Messenger. We cannot say that such and such would go to Jannah at all. And that is going beyond the limits because we are interfering in something that only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, has the judgment in. That is ta'allu ala Allah. You are taking the position of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when you are sending this person to hellfire and this person to Jannah. Because Rasulullah sallallahu says, and let me read to you this hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu wa sallam he said, لَن يُدْخِلَ أَحَدًا عَمَلَهُ الْجَنَّةِ قَالُوا وَلَا أَنْتَ يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ قَالَ وَلَا أَنَا إِلَّا أَنْ يَتَغَمَّدَنِيَ اللَّهُ بِفَضْلٍ وَرَحْمَةٍ مِنْهُ فَسَدِّدُوا وَقَارِبُوا وَلَا يَتَمَنَّيَنَّ أَحَدُكُمُ الْمَوْتَ إِمَّا مُحْسِنًا فَلَعَلُّهُ أَنْ يَزْدَادَ خَيْرًا وَإِمَّا مُسِيًا فَلَعَلُّهُ أَنْ يَسْتَعْتِبْ Rasulullah says, The good deeds of any person will not make him enter paradise. So the Sahaba said, Not even you, O Apostle of Allah, Rasulullah said, Not even myself, unless Allah bestows his favor and mercy on me. So even I cannot enter into Jannah except through the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. My deeds do not qualify me for that. If that is what Rasulullah is saying, who are we? So who are the ones who were granted Jannah while they were still in dunya? Uh, in a Tirmidhi, Ali ibn Abi Talib says, عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال أبو بكر وعمر سيدا كهول أهل الجنة من الأولين والآخرين. Rasulullah told Ali ibn Abi Talib that the masters of the people of Jannah throughout all of mankind, it's not talking about his time, the masters of the people of Jannah, with the exception of the Anbiya, are going to be Abu Bakr and Umar. These two were not only given the glad tidings of Jannah, but Rasulullah said they are the noblest among the people of Jannah after the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Rasulullah told Ali, and don't tell them so. Do not tell them this. Do not let them know. So Abu Bakr and Umar, radiallahu anhumah, are the best of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after the Anbiya of Allah. Also in a Tirmidhi, Rasulullah said, Al-Hasanu wal-Husayn, Sayyida Shababi Ahl al-Jannah. So Rasulullah said that the masters of the elders in Jannah are going to be Abu Bakr and Umar. 
But the masters of the youth are going to be Al-Hasan and Al-Husayn. The grandsons of Rasulullah the children of Ali bin Abi Talib uh, What does it mean, the elders and the youth? Aren't we all going to have the same age in Jannah? Yes. But in Jannah, uh, some people will be considered to be the elders because they died at an older age. While there will be people who are considered to be youth because they died at an earlier age even though they are, have the same age in Jannah. The Rasulullah is saying that Abu Bakr and Umar are going to be the heads of the elder generation while Al-Hasan and Al-Hussein are the masters of the younger generation. And in another hadith in Ahmad, an angel came down to Rasulullah and Rasulullah said this angel never came down before this. And he came to tell me that Al-Hasan and Al-Hussein are going to be the noblest among the youth in Jannah. So this is among the men. Among the women, Rawa Ahmad عن ابن عباس أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم خط أربعة خطوط ثم قال أتدرون لما خططت هذه الخطوط قالوا لا قال أفضل نساء الجنة أربع مريم بنت عمران وخديجة بنت خويلد وفاطمة ابنة محمد وآسيا ابنة مزاحم رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم drew four lines in the sand he had a stick and he drew four lines Rasulullah said, do you know why I drew these four lines? The Sahaba said, no. Rasulullah said, the best among the women in Jannah are four. Maryam bint Imran, Khadija bint Khawailid, Fatima bint Muhammad, and Asiya ibnat Muzahim. Why did Rasulullah draw these four lines? It was an instructional method that Rasulullah used to get the attention of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. And usually teachers would use this to get the attention of their students. So Rasulullah was drawing these four lines and then he asked them a question. Uh, and he knows that they don't know the answer, but he's trying to get their attention. And Rasulullah would frequently do this. For example, once an army was marching. So one of the Sahaba said, the Sahaba sort of scattered. They were not together. And Rasulullah wanted to give them a reminder. Uh, so what Rasulullah did, he didn't call them and said, say, come forth. He recited an ayah loudly. And they understood that Rasulullah is about to start speaking to them. So they all gathered and they rushed towards him until they surrounded him and then he gave them a reminder. The best of all, the greatest woman that ever lived is Maryam bint Imran. And then the second is the wife of Rasulullah Khadija bint Khalid. And the third is Fatima bint Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And the fourth is Asiya bint Muzaham, the wife of Fir'aun. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about Maryam. وَإِذْ قَالَتِ الْمَلَائِكَةُ يَا مَرْيَمُ إِنَّ اللَّهَ اصْطَفَاكِ وَطَهَّرَكِ وَاصْطَفَاكِ عَلَى نِسَاءِ الْعَالَمِينَ Behold, the angels said, O Mary, Allah has chosen you and purified you and chosen you above the women of all nations. So it was stated in Quran that Maryam was the chosen woman. She was the best of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Khadija radiallahu anha, Rasulullah says in the hadith, uh, Jibreel came to Muhammad and said, Oh, Messenger of Allah, this is Khadija coming to you with a dish. 
having meat soup. When she reaches you, greet her on behalf of her Lord and on my behalf. And give her the glad tidings of having a palace in paradise, wherein there will be neither any noise nor any fatigue. Imagine this. Jibreel alayhi salam, descending from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, coming to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi salam, telling him Allah is sending his salam to Khadija radiallahu anha. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sending his angel Jibreel to give salam to Khadija, the wife of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi salam. That is how much Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loved Khadija radiallahu anha. And then Jibreel added and said, and I am giving her my salam. And then give her the glad tidings of having a palace in Jannah. And subhanallah al-jazaa min jansal al-amal as we said, the reward is according to the deeds. She will be given a palace. And there is no noise in it and no fatigue. Khadija radiallahu anha, where was she living in Mecca? In a very small place. So Allah is going to give her now a palace. Be patient Khadija, you will have a better place than this. And Khadija radiallahu anha, when she was supporting Muhammad sallallahu alayhi in his mission of da'wah, she was going through a lot of harm and suffering herself. And there was a lot of noise in Mecca going on. And she was getting tired. It was fatiguing. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling her, and you will rest in Jannah. There will be no noise, no one to bother you, and no fatigue. With Asiya bint Muzahim, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَضَرَبَ اللَّهُ مَثَلًا لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا امْرَأَةَ فِرْعَوْنَ إِذْ قَالَتْ رَبِّ بِنِ لِيَعِنْدَكَ إِذْ قَالَتْ رَبِّ بِنِ لِيَعِنْدَكَ بَيْتًا فِي الْجَنَّةِ وَنَجِّنِي وَنَجِّنِي مِنْ فِرْعَوْنَ وَعَمَلِهِ وَنَجِّنِي مِنَ الْقَوْمِ الظَّالِمِينَ And Allah sets forth as an example to those who believe. The wife of Pharaoh, behold, she said, O my Lord, build for me in nearness to you a mansion in the garden and save me from Pharaoh and his doings and save me from those that do wrong. Asiya bint Muzahim, she was living in the most extravagant place on the face of the earth. She was living in the palace of Pharaoh, who was the greatest king of his time. Asiya bin Muzahim had all of the worldly things that a human being would desire. She had it all as far as the people of dunya are concerned. But she said, Oh Allah, build for me a place in Jannah. I'm not satisfied with this. Subhanallah, here you have a woman who was given all of the material things. And she said, I don't want any of this. I want you, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to grant me a place in Jannah. And I want you to save me from Fir'aun and his doings. Save me from him and his deeds. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raised her up to this level. Now these four women, they did not get this high status by having a career in any particular profession. How did they make it to this level? It wasn't by what the feminist movement would want for their followers. How did they get there? How did they make it? You can notice that there is something common between these four women. And that is they were all associated with Anbiya. 
Two of them raised up Anabi. And these two are Maryam and Asiya. Maryam alayhi salam, she raised up Isa ibn Maryam. And Asiya, she raised up Musa alayhi salam. So it is through their effort of tarbiyah that they produced for the world Isa ibn Maryam and Musa alayhi salam that they were granted this high level. Khadija radiallahu anha was granted this position because of her support of a Nabi, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, Because she supported him with her wealth and she comforted him psychologically. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted her this level. And with Fatima bint Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, because she came from this pure lineage and she was brought up in this pure household and because of the difficult life that she had, being part of the household of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and she lived with all of the suffering of her father, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also granted her this great position. And it's also an honoring for Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam to have two of the greatest women directly related to him. His wife and his daughter. Uh, and this would bring up the issue of it is very important for the sisters to take upon themselves the role that they would do best and if they don't do, nobody else will do. This ummah cannot move forward unless the sisters of the ummah produce the generation that will take it ahead. This ummah will not move forward by the particular careers that the sisters are taking, whether it is in accounting or medicine or teaching, even though it is absolutely fine and halal for them to do so. But the greatest need for this ummah is for the sister to bring up the men and women who will take this ummah ahead. Musa and Isa were the products of the woman who brought them up. In fact, if you look at the story of Musa you find that throughout his story, he was consistently supported by women who made out of him who he was. You find that Musa is the center of the story, but then almost everyone else mentioned in the story were women. It was his mother first, and then his sister second, and then the wife of Pharaoh third, and then the two daughters of Shu'aib, and then the daughter who married him. So you have throughout his life he's supported by these women who made him one of the greatest five of the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the role of Khadija was absolutely critical for him in the first ten years of his life before she passed away. Two people were the backbone for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. His wife Khadija and his uncle Abu Talib. And they passed away within weeks of each other. And that's why that was the most difficult time on Rasulullah It wasn't a difficult month or two. It was called Aam al-Huzn, the year of sorrow. It was a whole year of sorrow for Rasulullah because he lost his wife Khadija, who supported him financially and psychologically, and his uncle Abu Talib, who supported him by his position and strength in Quraysh. So these are the four women who were given the glad tidings of Jannah. Then we move on to the ten. Al-Ashara al-Mubashiruna bil-Jannah. In At-Tirmidhi, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Abu Bakr fil-Jannah, wa Umar fil-Jannah, wa Uthmanu fil-Jannah, 
وعلي في الجنة وطلحة في الجنة والزبير في الجنة وعبد الرحمن بن عوف في الجنة وسعد في الجنة وسعيد في الجنة وعبيدة بن الجراح في الجنة صلى الله عليه وسلم says أبو بكر is in paradise عمر is in paradise عثمان is in paradise علي is in paradise طلحة is in paradise الزبير is in paradise عبد الرحمن بن عوف is in paradise سعد is in paradise سعيد is in paradise أبو عبيدة بن الجراح is in paradise These are the ten who were granted Jannah In another hadith in Bukhari Abu Musa al-Ash'ari He made wudu He said I performed ablution in my house And then went out and said Today I shall stick to Allah's apostle And stay with him all this day of mine In his servants Today I am with the servant of Rasulullah I went to the mosque and I asked about the Prophet They said he had gone in this direction So I followed his way Asking about him till I entered a place called Bir Urais This was a well And it was uh, covered with a shed And Rasulullah was sitting next to the well So Abu Musa al-Ash'ari uh, went to him He said, I sat at its gate That was made of date palm leaves Till the Prophet finished answering the call of nature And performed ablution Then I went up to him to see him sitting at the well of Aris At the middle of its edge With his legs uncovered hanging in the well So you have this shed Inside it is the well And you have the rim of the well And Rasulullah is sitting on the well And his feet are dangling from top of this rim Obviously they're not reaching the water because it's deep But he was sitting on the rim of the well I greeted him And went back and sat at the gate I said today I will be the gatekeeper of the Prophet So Abu Bakr came and he pushed the gate. I asked, who is it? So he didn't let him in. He said, who is it? Abu Bakr said, this is Abu Bakr. Uh, I told him to wait. And then I went to Rasulullah and told him, Abu Bakr asks permission to enter. Rasulullah admit him and give him the glad tidings that he will be in paradise. So imagine you're waiting at the gate and then you're told to come in. And along with that, you're told that you are given the glad tidings to go to Jannah. Abu Bakr, he sat on the right side of Rasulullah Umar, radiallahu anhu, he came, the same thing happened. He was given the glad tidings of Jannah, and he sat to his left. Uh, somebody came and moved the door. So this is the third person. I said, who is this? He replied to Uthman ibn Affan. I asked him to wait, and I went to the Prophet and Rasulullah said, admit him and give him the glad tidings of entering paradise after a calamity that will befall him. So with Abu Bakr, he was told that he will enter Jannah. With Umar, he was told that he will enter Jannah. With Uthman, Rasulullah said he will enter Jannah, but after a calamity that will happen to him in dunya. And the calamity was the fitna that happened towards the end of his Khilafah in which he was killed. Subhanallah, Rasulullah was telling the Sahaba prophecies to help strengthen them when these things happen. Rasulullah told Uthman ibn Affan something else that he told him. He said, إِنَّ اللَّهَ مُقَمِّصُكَ قَمِيصًا فَإِنَّا زَعَكَ النَّاسُ عَلَىٰ أَنْ تَخْلَعَهُ فَلَا تَفْعَلُ Rasulullah told Uthman ibn Affan رضي الله عنه, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you a cloak 
If the people try to take it away from you, do not do so. Allah will give you a dress to wear, a cloak, something that He will give it to you, qamis. The people will try to fight you, to take it away from you, don't give it to them. Now, Uthman ibn Affan, he did not know what this meant. What, what, what is a cloak? And the people will fight me over it. The cloak was khilafa. And the people tried to take it away from him. The khawarij, or the beginning of the appearance of al-khawarij. So Uthman ibn Affan, he realized that Rasulullah was talking about this, so he refused to give it up. But he refused to fight anyone. And Ali ibn Abi Talib appointed Al-Hassan wal Hussein to be guards, the security guards on Uthman ibn Affan. And they said that we are willing to fight. Uthman ibn Affan anhu said, I don't want a drop of blood to be spilled for my sake. And eventually they broke in and they killed him while he was reciting Quran and his blood spilled on the Mus'haf. Now, Abu Musa al-Ash'ari said, Uthman then came in and found that the built edge of the well was occupied. Who was occupying it? Rasulullah Abu Bakr and Umar. Where did Umar sit? It says in the hadith that he, he sat on the left side. So you have Rasulullah and then Abu Bakr and then Umar. Uthman ibn Affan, because he found that the rim of the well is full, it's occupied, he went and sat at the other side. Abu Musa al-Ash'ari said, I interpreted that arrangement as being their graves. So you have Rasulullah Abu Bakr and Umar sitting together. And Uthman ibn Affan was further away from them. So you have Rasulullah Abu Bakr and Umar buried together in the room of Aisha, عنها, while Uthman ibn Affan was buried in Al-Baqi'ah. Some of the other men who were granted Jannah. Rafi Sahih al Jama' Sayyid al Shuhada Hamza. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says that the master of al Shuhada, the martyrs, is Hamza, which obviously means that he is in the highest levels of Jannah. Uh, in a Tirmidhi, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says, Ra'aytu Ja'faran yatiru fil Jannati ma'al malaika. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said, I have seen Ja'far ibn Abi Talib flying with two wings with the angels in Jannah. How come he was flying with two wings? Ja'far ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anhu. He was the leader of the army that went to fight the Romans. This was the first battle with the Romans, Ghazwat Mu'tah. He was holding the banner in his hands and both of his arms were chopped. So he hugged the banner with his chest. His arms were already cut off. And that is how he died. So Rasulullah says because he did not have arms when he died, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala replaced them with wings. And he's flying with the angels in Jannah. In Muslim Imam Ahmad, Lama Hadara Mu'adh ibn Jabal al-Mawt, Qila lahu ya Aba Abdul Rahman awsina, Qala ajlisuni, Faqala inna al-ilma wal-imana makanahuma man ibtagahuma, wajadahuma, yaqulu thalath thamaratin, فالتمس العلم عند أربعة رهط عند عويمر أبي الدرداء وعند سلمان الفارسي وعند عبد الله بن مسعود وعند عبد الله بن سلام الذي كان يهوديا ثم أسلم فإني سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول إنه عاشر عشرة في الجنة 
this is a saying of Mu'adh ibn Jabal when he was dying, one of his students told him, give us an advice. Mu'adh ibn Jabal first of all said, knowledge is in its place. If you want it, you'll find it. So the first thing he's saying is that uh, knowledge will not die and will not disappear. If you want it, you'll get it, but you have to search for it. And then he said, and if you want to learn, then go to four people. Abu Darda. Number two, Salman al-Farisi. Number three, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. And number four, Abdullah ibn Salam. And then he said, and Abdullah ibn Salam was a Jew who became Muslim. And I heard Rasulullah say that he is the tenth person in paradise. So Mu'adh ibn Jabal is saying that learn your religion from this Jewish man who became a Muslim because of the promise that Rasulullah said that he is number ten in paradise. Now, we don't say that uh, Abdullah ibn Salam will be the tenth person to enter into Jannah, but this means that he will be among the earliest to enter into paradise. Uh, Abdullah ibn Salam was a rabbi, and he was the head rabbi of the Jews in Medina. And he knew the truth, and he knew the descriptions of Rasulullah in their books. And as soon as Rasulullah came, he recognized him, and he believed. And because of his background in knowledge, since he was a literate person, who already studied religion, that helped him in Islam. The Jews who became Muslim were very few. But they tended to be very knowledgeable. Uh, because of their backgrounds as being a literate nation. The Yahud in Arabia were not as the Arabs. The Arabs were an illiterate nation. The, but the Yahud, they had the scripture that they would study. So knowledge for them was important. So the Jews who became Muslim uh, tended to be very scholarly and knowledgeable because of this strong background that they had. Rasulullah says, Rasulullah says, I entered into Jannah and I was met by a young lady. I asked her, who do you belong to? She said, to Zayd bin Haritha. So Zayd bin Haritha is another person granted Jannah. Rawa bin Asakir bin Sinad bin Hassan an Aisha qalat, qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, dekhaltu al-Jannah fara'aytu li Zayd bin Amr bin Nufayl darajatayn. Aisha radiallahu anhu says that Rasulullah said, I entered into paradise and I saw that Zayd bin Amr bin Nufayl had two levels in Jannah. Zayd bin Amr bin Nufayl was a man who died before the prophethood of Muhammad But Muhammad remembered him and he met with him. Zayd bin Amr bin Nufayl, he used to follow the religion of Ibrahim So the traces of the religion of Ibrahim were there. And Zayd ibn Amr ibn Fayl, subhanAllah, was an amazing example of having steadfast on the truth. SubhanAllah, he never worshipped idols. And he would preach to the people and tell them that these idols are not your gods, they are false, and you should be worshipping Allah. He would not eat their meat. SubhanAllah, he would not eat the meat of the people of Mecca. And he would tell them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who feeds these goat and sheep. He brings down rain from them, for them from the sky. And then when you slaughter them, you slaughter them for these idols. I'm not going to eat from any meat which the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was not mentioned over. SubhanAllah through his fitrah, by the default creation, he recognized that this is haram. Uh, Rasulullah said that he has two levels in Jannah.
In another hadith, يقول صلى الله عليه وسلم دخلت الجنة فسمعت فيها قراءة قلت من هذا قالوا حارثة بن النعمان كذلكم البر كذلكم البر رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم said I entered into paradise and I heard some recitation I said who is this man reciting they said حارثة بن النعمان one of the sahaba رضي الله عنهم أجمعين in مسند الإمام أحمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم says دخل الجنة فسمع من جانبيها وجسا قال جبريل ما هذا قال هذا بلال المؤذن فقال نبي الله صلى الله عليه وسلم حين جاء إلى الناس قد أفلح بلال صلى الله عليه وسلم said I entered into paradise and I heard some noise I said who is this he heard the sound of someone walking who is this جبريل عليه السلام said this is بلال the مؤذن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم when he came back he told the people بلال has succeeded بلال has succeeded this is the true success. And then Abu, uh, Abu Dahdah, Rasulullah has also granted him Jannah because of his generosity. He donated the best farm in Al-Madinah. A few final issues relating to Al-Jannah. Number one, Jannah is not a price for our deeds. We are not given Jannah as a payback for our deeds. Because no matter how much we worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that would not qualify us to spend a moment in Jannah. And there is a story, Allah alam how authentic it is, but there is a lesson in it, that there was a, a man from Bani Israel who worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a very long time, 40 or 80 years or something. So on the Day of Judgment, he was presented with his good deeds. Huge mountain of good deeds. So a person who devoted his life to ibadah. So the angels asked him, do you want to enter into Jannah with your deeds? Or do you want to enter with the mercy of Allah? So he took a look at his deeds and he said, well, why not enter with my deeds? I mean, I have this huge mountain. He said, I want to enter with my deeds. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the angels to put his deeds on one tip of the scale and to put his eyes on the other tip. And as soon as his eyes were placed on the other side of the scale, all of his deeds flew in the air. This blessing of sight, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us, is more worthy than everything he did. Because even if we assume that he was the best abid, the best worshipper of Allah, wouldn't he as a human being commit sins, mistakes? Wouldn't he take time to rest? Would he be worshipping Allah 24 hours a day? Or would he tend to go in ups and downs. So, even though he's worshipping Allah as much as he can, but these eyes which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given him are with him all, all his life. For 24 hours a day, he has his eyes. But his ibadah is not 24 hours a day. So, all of the ibadah that he did was not even able to keep up with paying the bills for his eyes. Add to that his ears, his mind, his wealth, his health, and every other blessing that Allah has given him. Then he changed his mind and said, stop, stop. I want to enter Jannah with, my, with the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Rasulullah said, even my deeds wouldn't qualify me. Unless Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant me mercy. And this hadith is in Al-Bukhari. وَلَا أَنْتَ يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ قَالَ وَلَا أَنَا إِلَّا أَنْ يَتَغَمَّدَنِي اللَّهُ بِرَحْمَتِهِ Rasulullah is saying in Bukhari that, even me, my deeds will not enter me into Jannah. It is the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that will lead me there. So what role do our deeds play? Our roles come into play 
in determining which level of Jannah we will be in. Entering Jannah, entering the gate, is through the mercy of Allah. But then the level that you will occupy is based on your deeds. And that's why it's important to accumulate as many deeds as you can so that you could get higher in Jannah. And again, we said that the differences in these levels is astronomical. Rasulullah says in some of the other characteristics of the people of Jannah, we said that they will be tall like Adam alayhi salam. يقول صلى الله عليه وسلم خلق الله آدم this hadith is in Bukhari خلق الله آدم وطوله ستون ذراعا and then he says in the end of the hadith فكل من يدخل الجنة على صورة آدم فلم يزل الخلق ينقص حتى الآن Rasulullah says Allah created Adam making him 60 cubits tall in the end of the hadith Rasulullah says uh, any person who will enter paradise will resemble Adam in appearance and figure people have been decreasing in stature since Adam's creation. 60 cubits high, according to my calculation, which be, could be incorrect, I, I, I did this a long time ago, I think it came up to something like 90 yards, or 80, approximately 90 meters. Very tall. Uh, what about their age? In a Tirmidhi, it mentions that uh, they will enter Jannah at the age of 33 years old. 33 years old. Rasulullah says, uh, Sleeping is the brother of death, and the people of Jannah do not sleep. You don't have time to sleep. It's continuous fun. Why would somebody sleep? We've spoken about Jannah, described it as much as we could, went through a uh, tour of Jannah, but at the end of the day, no matter how hard we try to grasp the reality of Jannah, we're not going to get there. All of this is just to make us relate to it, to spark our interest in it. But the reality of it is going to be something that is way beyond your wildest dreams. Rasulullah says, after, after he has given the Sahaba a description of Jannah, Rasulullah said, فيها ما لا عين رأت ولا أذن سمعت ولا خطر على قلب بشر There would be bounties which the eye has not seen and the ear has not heard and no human heart has ever perceived them. And it says in the hadith that when he finished حتى انتهى he talked about Jannah and when he finished at the end he told the Sahaba and after all of this description no eye has ever seen it no ear has ever heard it, and no mind can even imagine it. Because your mind is limited with what you have in dunya. You think in the three dimensions that you have in this world. There was a, a primitive tribe which uh, uh, anthropologists visited. They live in a very hot climate, tropical climate. So uh, they never saw snow in their lives. So these anthropologists wanted to test them. So they kept on describing snow to them. They're describing it and trying to relate snow to them by some of the things in their environment that they know. And they went on and on and on and on, and then when they presented them with snow, they didn't recognize it. We are given all of this description of Jannah, but when you see it, your heart will pound. It is something that you will never be able to grasp until you get there. And then you'll go on in Jannah, and every day will be a new excitement. You will never get bored 
never get tired, never feel fatigue. And then all of these uh, things that happen in dunya uh, don't go on over there. Uh, for example, Rasulullah said, there will be no urination, uh, people will not uh, at all, they will not spit. Uh, all of these fluids that are in the body that are disgusting don't exist in Jannah. لا يتبولون فيها ولا يتغوطون ولا يتمخطون ولا يتفلون رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم was saying that the people of Jannah are pure of all of this وإذا رأيت ثم رأيت نعيما وملكا كبيرا and when you look there in paradise you will see pleasure and a great kingdom you are a king you are a king in what Allah has given you and sisters are queens in what Allah سبحانه وتعالى has given them ملكا كبيرا فلا تعلم نفس ما أخفي لهم من قرة أعين جزاء بما كانوا يعملون. No person knows what delights of the eye are kept hidden in reserve for them. Allah subhanahu wa taala says, you don't know what Allah subhanahu wa taala is reserving for you. He is hiding it for you in Jannah. The final section. A comparison between Jannah and Dunya. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says and do not extend your eyes toward that by which we have given enjoyment to some people. It is but the splendor of worldly life by which we test them. And the provision of your Lord is better. Don't look at the wealth and pleasure that we have given them. Don't go around looking at their palaces and their houses and their gardens and their wealth. Turn your eyes away from it. Because what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has for you is better. So the mu'min in this world should not be reading uh, the... Uh, what is, what, what, there's a program in the U.S. The, uh, the famous and... I forgot the name of the program. I, I don't know if you have an equivalent of it here. The, this program is the profiles of the rich people. You see it to become envious. That's why they show it on TV. To make you more materialistic. You see what all of these people have. They take you into the mansions of Bill Gates and all of the electronic stuff in there. They take you to the Waltons. They take you to all of the rich people in the world. Uh, the rich and famous. There's a program that's devoted to the profiles of the rich. Don't get into that. Don't get your heart attached to this dunya. Because what Allah has for you as a believer is better. Khayrun wa It's better and more enduring. Jannah is better than this world in four aspects. Number one, quantity. The quantity of everything in Jannah is multifolds of everything in this world. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قُلْ مَتَاعُ الدُّنْيَا قَلِيلٌ وَالْآخِرَةُ خَيْرٌ لِمَنِ اتَّقَى وَلَا تُظْلَمُونَ فَتِيلًا Say short is the enjoyment of this world, the hereafter is best for those who do right. They translate it here as short, is the enjoyment of this world. But it's saying that the quantity, qalil, qalil is very little. The enjoyment of this world is very little. But what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has for you in akhirah is a lot. The lowest person in Jannah 
ten times the world and everything in it. Ten times the size. It is ten times the size, but we'll get to the quality, which is completely different. So the territory is ten times the earth. And there's no mountains in it, no oceans, no North Pole and South Pole that take up a big portion of the earth. It is pure land. The dirt of it is white musk. So in terms of quantity, in Jannah it's much more than dunya. Quality, number two. The quality of Jannah. Rasulullah is trying to uh, drive the point to us. Rasulullah says in Al-Bukhari, Sawt is a whip. It's a small stick that they used to carry with them. Very small stick. It's not a cane, it's a small stick. That's a whip. Rasulullah says, The area occupied by a whip in Jannah is better than the world combined. How much area would a whip uh, cover? One inch by a foot. So if you buy property in Jannah, one inch by a foot, it is worth the price of the whole world. Now you don't have an inch by a foot in Jannah. You have distances that could be measured in light years. So the quality of Jannah is much better. It is superior to the quality of dunya. Rasulullah says uh, Rasulullah says this world compared to the afterlife is like dipping your finger in the sea take a look at how much water will stick to it this dunya this world compared to Jannah is like dipping your water in the sea it's nothing we're fighting over a droplet of water we're killing ourselves over a droplet of water. We're neglecting our religion just to get a droplet of water. Let me ask you this question. If, anyone, if everyone in this room will be promised 50 pounds if you show up for Salat al-Fajr in the masjid, how many of you will come tomorrow morning? I would guarantee you that you would all show up to collect this 50 pounds. Is 50 pounds more valuable than Jannah, Ardwa, Samawat, wal Paradise, the width of it, not the length, the width of it is like the earth, is like the heavens and earth. We are taking a raw deal and we're, bar- we're bargaining for the wrong thing. The, the competition should be in akhirah, not in dunya. Competition in dunya is not good. Rasulullah said, I do not fear poverty on you. That's not my concern. I'm not concerned about poverty, that you will become poor. My concern is that you will become wealthy. And when you become wealthy, you would compete on this world. And when you compete on this world like the nations before you competed, it will destroy you like it destroyed them. Rasulullah says in Bukhari, لو أن امرأة من أهل الجنة اطلعت إلى أهل الأرض لا أضاءت ما بينهما ولا ملأته ريحا if a woman from paradise appeared to the people of the earth, she would fill the space between heaven and earth with light and pleasant scent. And her head cover is better than the world and whatever is in it. The sister, the cloth that is on her head is more valuable than all of the clothes she has at home, combined with the perfume, combined with the makeup, combined with all of the wealth that she and her husband has. Just that piece of cloth. 
And Rasulullah says that a woman of paradise, if she appears to you from paradise, she doesn't come down to dunya. Otherwise we would all just die in dunya. Nobody would survive. She appears from Jannah. She would fill that distance with scent and light. That is the quality of Jannah. The quality of everything in Jannah is superior to what you have in dunya. I mean, we're talking about transparent silver. Where do you get that? Number three. Everything in Jannah is pure, while everything in dunya is contaminated. Everything in dunya is contaminated. Even what you deem as pleasure is contaminated. There is nothing in dunya that is pure. But Jannah, everything in it is pure. Let's look at some of the things that we enjoy. Food, for example, is something that we have a taste for. I mean, we all want to eat tasty food, good food. Sometimes we become very picky in what we eat and... Mothers know that, obviously, through the experience of kids. I don't like onion, I don't like... Uh, like when uh, George Bush Sr., he said on TV, I don't like uh, broccoli. Mothers in the U.S. protested because he said we're having a hard time convincing our kids to eat broccoli, and here the President of the United States says that I don't like broccoli. While the health service is telling us that broccoli is good for our kids. But then I think he apologized after that. But everything in dunya is contaminated. Nothing is pure. We love food. And we eat it. And it's very tasty. And we enjoy it. And we come together and we have dinners. Just imagine. Just imagine. You know those uh, when Swatch came out with these watches that were transparent? After that the idea was picked up by many watches. Now we have a lot of watches that are transparent. You, see, you can see the mechanism. You can see the mechanics of the, the watch. It's transparent. Imagine for a moment that the digestive system was made transparent. So when you put the food in your mouth, it is transparent. And you're sitting on the table with people and you're chewing that food and they're watching what's happening in your mouth. And they see this food mixing with saliva. And it's just mixing and it's getting wetter and wetter. And it's sticking. And the color is changing and it's moving all around. And then you swallow it like a ball and goes down this track and then it goes into the stomach and all of the fluids just come over it. And imagine that there were pores for the smell to come out. What's going on, going on inside? And the whole system, imagine it was transparent. Would you ever have a meal with anybody? You would starve to death. Nevertheless, we enjoy food. We enjoy it. Even though it is it is a very gruesome process. Without getting graphic, but the process of reproduction, which is one of the things that is, especially for men, for the young brothers, which is one of the prime reasons taking them away from, from their religion, is this issue, the attraction between the opposite sex. If, if for a moment, just think for a moment about what is involved. It's a very disgusting process. The whole thing is disgusting. But because of this desire, it, it masks the whole thing and it makes it seem as a very passionate and desirable thing. But the reality of it, and Liberal Josie, he talks about this, by the way, he says that, that for example, uh, kissing is something that if the people think about, they would never do. Just imagine the same thing that the mouths were transparent and you see all of the saliva and all of the mess that is, that is happening. Gross. It's a disgusting process. 
But because we have that desire on us, in us, it is masking the whole thing. And basically that's what dunya is, a mask. It's a facade. But as soon as you pick up that layer, you see how rotten it is from the inside. While in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about food and the other things that I mentioned, for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about the wine of Jannah. Free from headiness, nor will they suffer intoxication therefrom. So all of the impurities and and contamination of wine there, there. Water, if it settles in a place long time, algae starts to grow, and it becomes contaminated. So Allah told us that the reason is ma'in ghayri asin. Water that is incorruptible. And, and milk. If that's left out of fridge for a short, short while, it's bad. Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, the, the milk, the milk, the of it will never change. If you leave milk out of the fridge for a short while, the taste will change. It will become sour. And uh, honey, one of the problems is that it, that it is difficult to purify and to cleanse from the impurities in it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us it will be purified for you. And with the wine, it will not have all of the impurities that come with it. So the four rivers that Allah talked about in Jannah, Allah told us that they will be free from the contaminations of dunya. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, their companions will be pure, the spouses will be pure. All of the processes or the natural processes that a woman would go through will not happen in Jannah. Menstrual period and the such. These are things that don't happen in Jannah. Hearts are free of contamination and that's where most of the contamination lies. It's not in the digestive tract. It is in the heart. If one would be able to smell the sins of the heart, the smell of it would be much worse than anything we can smell in dunya. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, we have taken out all of the envy and bad feelings from their hearts. So the hearts are pure. The hearts would be like the heart of one man. Unity among them. They love each other. And in the same time, even punishment in dunya is contaminated with some good things. It goes both ways. The suffering that the believer would go through in dunya can turn into enjoyment. The fire of this world is nothing compared to the fire of, of akhirah. Over there it's pure fire. And in dunya, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us a glimpse of jannah in dunya and a glimpse of nar in dunya, but it's all contaminated, it's not pure. So you can get a taste of how enjoyment is and how pleasure is, but the real thing is in jannah. This is just to give you an appreciation. And also a person can go through some partial punishment in dunya or pain in dunya, but the real thing is only in akhirah. And I did this survey once in, in an audience uh, before where I was talking about al-akhirah. I noticed something interesting that, subhanallah, when we were young or old, we get injured in different ways. But every person has been injured. Every person has been injured. So everyone will feel pain. And almost all of the time, you would find that everyone has been specifically hurt by fire at one moment or another. Who of you has never experienced the pain of burning? Whether it was hot water or boiling oil or a flame. Who of you? Is there anybody in this room who never, never, ever in their life felt the pain of fire? So it seems that everyone, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destines it for them. And this is just a personal observation. Everyone, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destines for them that they would taste 
how the pain of fire feels as a warning for the real thing, Jahannam. Finally, number four, even if there is enjoyment in dunya, it is temporary. In akhirah, it is permanent. You enjoy the food in dunya, but you cannot enjoy it all the time. You eat a few bites, you're full. If you have some more, high cholesterol. And subhanAllah, look at this, look at the contamination. We would go back to the issue of contamination. The ones who can afford the good food are the ones who cannot eat it. You find that the poor people, sometimes they're very healthy because of their limited options. And, and they want to try all of this exotic stuff, but they don't have the money for it. And then you have these rich people who have all, loads of money, and they see all of the food presented in front of them in the buffets and hotels, and they cannot eat it. Because they have high cholesterol, high blood pressure, and they cannot enjoy this food. And then if you have a lot of it, then the, the process of releasing is contaminated and disgusting process. Uh, everything in, in Jannah is permanent. You can drink all of your river if you want. You can have uh, bottles of wine on a daily basis. You could have fruits of your choice, meat of your choice. You will be entertained with your spouses for years and years and years. It's permanent. While everything in dunya is temporary. Subhanallah, uh, the, the punishment for adultery is execution. Stoning till death. There are believers who believe in Allah and His Messenger. And they commit adultery. They're not kuffar, they are believers. They love Allah and they love His Messenger. But it's so tempting for them, they would commit adultery. And they would go through an enjoyment of a few minutes. While the punishment for it is death. While in Akhirah it's not a few minutes, years. So everything in Akhirah is permanent, while everything in dunya is temporary. We're done. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to benefit us from what we learned. Allahumma ja'alna mimma yastami'oon al-qawla fa'itabu'an ahsana. Now dear brothers and sisters, after you went through this tour of Jannah and Nar, we should all leave with a commitment and promise that we will always remember and bring up this topic, that we will try to live in Akhirah, even though we're walking in dunya, and pray. Pray all the time, in your sujood, when you raise your hands for dua. Pray the prayer that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned in Qur'an. The prayers of As-Salihin, Ibadur Rahman. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about them, وَعِبَادُ الرَّحْمَنِ الَّذِينَ يَمْشُونَ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ هَوْنَا وَإِذَا خَاطَبَهُمُ الْجَاهِلُونَ قَالُوا سَلَامًا وَالَّذِينَ يَبِيتُونَ لِرَبِّهِمْ سُجَّدًا وَقِيَامًا وَالَّذِينَ يَقُولُونَ رَبَّنَا اصْرِفْ عَنَّا عَذَابَ جَهَنَّمْ the servants of Allah, Allah said about them, they ask Allah in dua and they say, Oh Allah, protect us from our fire. 
The ones who contemplate in the creation of the heavens and earth and they say, Oh Allah, you have not created this in vain. So, Oh Allah, save us from the punishment of hellfire. Always make the dua, Allahumma inna nas'aluka ridaka wal jannah wa na'udhu bika min sakhatika wal nar. We ask you to be pleased with us and to reward us with jannah and we seek refuge in you from hellfire. Allahumma ya muqallib al-qulubi wal-absar thabbit qulubana ala deenik. اللهم إنا نسألك رضاك والجنة ونعوذ بك من سخطك والنار اللهم إنا نسألك الجنة وما قرب إليها من قول وعمل ونعوذ بك من النار وما قرب إليها من قول وعمل ربنا آتنا في الدنيا حسنة وفي الآخرة حسنة وقنا عذاب النار وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم This is the end of part two for further information, please contact Al-Bashir Publications and Translations at 1-877-745-3330 or 303-574-0095. Our fax number is 303-373-0943 or visit our website at www dot albashir dot com that's www a l dash b a s h e e r dot com you can also write to our address at 10515 east 40th avenue suite 108 denver colorado 80239 dash 3264